7 o'clock. I was just so excited. And I want to tell you that that's a rare thing uh, for a pastor to just be so eager to get back home. And it's not just the love of preaching. You, you're my family. Some of you understand what I'm about to say. Our, our spiritual brothers and sisters are most oftentimes even more close than our natural blood and sis, blood, brothers and sisters. And I just want you to know I love you. We had the time of our life. This was Elisha's coming out party. He experienced the water and the sand and y'all, he is so loud. That baby is so loud. And they played and they played and they played. And now I know there has to, we're going to have to rein them in now because you, you can develop a little spoiled child. But let me just give you those math majors a little idea. So there's an ice cream truck that's permanent on the beach. He's a little cheaper than the drive-by guy, so we make the walk to the permanent guy. But he has a screwball, and that is a frozen cherry thing with a gumball in the middle of it. So screwballs. So 32, 33 days there. We probably, 30 of the days, bought screwballs. One day we tried ice creams. You took 10 feet, and then all dripped off the thing, melted, you know. So I figured... Six bucks a day times 30. I paid $180 for screwballs. $180 for screwballs. Did y'all know it costs money to raise babies? Are y'all aware of this? But I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, there is nothing you could ever do for me greater than giving me that time with my family. I was tired. Oh, Lord, physically tired. As, and, you know, I, I, coming home, I'm thinking, you're not going to get any sympathy from anybody after a month off. So don't even go up that angle. But one day, you know, naps, you put the kids down and they were sleeping. And one day I laid down with them. You know, you want to go lay with daddy? And we laid in the bed one o'clock. I woke up at 617. <laughs> you know how you wake up and you don't know nothing. You're like, Kelly's gone. The kids are gone. Grandma's gone. I'm thinking rapture or, you know, so I put my bathing suit on, you know, it's cocked halfway out this. I stagger out. I look like I've been on a three day drunk. I come downstairs. They're all on the beach. And I was like, well, why didn't you wake me? She goes, how could I? You were just, you know, five, six, seven, eight. So, but it was wonderful. And I am so glad to be back here and I'm ready to preach to you. I hope you're ready. So, Psalm 23. Turn in your Bible and stand with me this morning. Oh, by God's grace, I just, I am so, you don't hear me use the word excited a lot, but I've never had the opportunity or felt the Lord move on my heart to preach a series. I've never done a sermon on Psalms 23. I've alluded to it and I've pulled verses out, but I believe for the summer, the rest of June and July at least, I'm going to be teaching slash preaching uh, on Psalms 23, and I encourage you to take notes. Listen, it's not important to get my series down on paper, but if you're expecting the Lord to speak to you, it is surely important enough to write it down. And I can promise you, if God speaks to you, you will be tested upon that which is given. And this passage is so well known, but often it's kind of like the football team that recites the Lord's Prayer, and it means nothing to them. Psalms 23 can be something you just hear at a funeral or that you knew as a child. But this psalm is life-changing. It is so pregnant 
with insights and applications that bring healing and wholeness and wellness. It's a perspective shift. Psalms 23, verse 1. Sing, say it with me this morning. The Lord is my shepherd. You may be seated this morning. And if you would join your heart with me, I, I really want to pray for myself and submit myself to the Lord today. Lord, I am so humbled today that somebody like me gets to preach and teach your word. And I want you to know I have no confidence in my flesh but I lean upon you, great teacher, Holy Spirit, I pray you would anoint me today from on high. And you give me the ability to articulate with clarity and unction and power the words of this chapter. Let them come alive unto us. Shift us from information to revelation. Let it be so rich and thick. Lord, I'm asking you for a paradigm shift in our minds. Let Psalms 23 come alive in our heart and may we act upon and react to life circumstances based upon our knowledge of this word. I declare it to be so in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 23 is a declaration of weakness and trust. It is a perspective born of experience, proven in the crucible of life. Here is David, the greatest king in the nation of Israel in history looking over his shoulder and reflecting. That's what you have to see. This isn't someone sitting at a lawyer's desk pinning out something saying, I hope this can bless people. He's looking over all that he's done, everywhere he's failed, all the miracles, all the growth, all of the peace, all of the prosperity, all of the battles won, looking over his shoulder. And the first words out of his mouth is, the Lord is my shepherd. There's such a compact, it's like compacting a life into one paragraph. And it is a prescription for all that has happened to you and all that lies ahead. We go to the doctor, we pay our uh, copay, and it takes us six weeks to pay it back, and we, we pay the copay. And we're hoping, outside of just talking to us, that he's going to give us a prescription for pain, for inflammation. And then some of us hard-headed men don't take the medicine the Lord gives. I don't like medicine. Well, it's still the prescription that the doctor, based on his education but limited understanding, this will help you. I'm going to give you God's prescription for everything behind you and everything ahead of you. It is God's Rx through the life of David who has seen it all 
done it all, experienced it all. God's word teaches us that those without a shepherd are lost. They are scattered. They are misled and they become a prey to enemies stronger than themselves. That's how you can see a Christian you've known for 30 years and them just be overtaken. How could you say, how could it have happened? They wandered away and the Lord was no longer their shepherd. And to Jerusalem, Jesus said, how often, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and thou that killest the prophets, how often would I have gathered you together like a mother hen with its chicks? But you wouldn't. You would not. Therefore, your house is left unto you desolate. Very quickly. And I know my introduction's a little lengthy, but an introduction sermon for those of you that are communicators is the hardest one to do because you don't want to get ahead of yourself. So I'm just going to set a lot of framework. It's going to kind of expand out today. And I'm asking you, I'm asking you, as you read your Bible, and if the Lord leads you otherwise, fine. But I want your Bible study, while we're in this series, to be this one chapter. This one chapter. Chew on it. Meditate on it. Look into it. So by the time I get to preaching about it, you go, Lord already told me that. I'm ready. I'm with you. And I want it to become fabric of our soul. Listen to this very quickly. Some would say it's a secret to a happy life. I don't like formulas or secrets, but I'm just going to use the word secret because not a lot of people know it. Not that God hides it, but a lot of people don't know it. It's the secret to confidence. I shall not want. It's the secret to submission. He makes me lie down in green pastures. It's the secret to trusting. He leads me beside still waters. It's the secret to contentment. He restoreth my soul. It's the secret to success. He leads me in right paths, paths of righteousness. It's the secret to divine order. He does these things for his name's sake, not for my sake. It's the secret to courage. I will fear no evil for you are with me. It's the secret to peace. Your rod and your staff, that sound as your staff hits the rocks ahead of me, comforts me. It's the secret to provision. You prepare a table before me, a table for me. It's the secret to preservation. You feed me in the presence of those that would want to kill me. My soul is preserved. It's the secret to power. You anoint my head with oil. It's the secret to joy. My cup runs over. It's the secret to expectation. And oh, how Christians have lost this. Out of his soul, no prompting he is. Surely goodness and mercy has followed me all the days of my life and I'm going to dwell with God forever. I'm not looking for evil, I'm looking for good. How can you say that? Because all the days of my life, every time I turn around, here comes goodness and here comes mercy following behind me. The Lord has been before me. He's behind me. He's above me and he's beneath me. The Lord is my shepherd. Great expectation. And it's the secret to rest. I'm going to live with God forever. Why? Because where the shepherd goes, I go. Y'all ready for this? All right, number one. You can just write out, the Lord is my shepherd. And underline the words, the Lord. The Lord. Notice David did not declare that God was a shepherd and that God was a shepherd of the world. You hear this in uh, secular religion now that all of us are God's children. No, we aren't. We're all God's creation. We're not all his children. We're all people. No, 
He didn't say God's a shepherd. He said God's my shepherd. He starts out this song with the boldest of declarations that the Lord God is his shepherd. David is not referring to a God. He is not referring to a higher power, an essence, a presence, or an ideal. He was not speaking of an angel, an extraterrestrial, a prophet, man, or any other entity. He opens his prose with one statement. God Almighty is my shepherd. He wanted you to know that he wasn't speaking about generally a God. The God, the one who created the world and the universe is past the universe is that we don't know about. If every human being had uh, 150,000 stars each, it wouldn't take up the stars in our galaxy alone. And there are billions of galaxies. David said, I want you to know the one that stepped out on nothing before there was anything and said, let there be lights. And the planets burst into existence. And the angel stood back and said, get out of here. Did you see this? That's the one. He's not an idea. He's not a theology. He's not a belief system. He's the self-existent one who chooses to express himself in the pages of the Bible. Jehovah meant self-existent one. Since you don't know me, I'm going to introduce myself. I am your provider. I am your healer. I am your righteousness. I am your peace. Because we wouldn't have known it. The world doesn't realize that there's a shepherd there. They shepherd themselves. And the scariest thing a sheep can do, two things, follow a hireling or lead themselves. You don't want to be turned over to yourself. I'll get to that in a minute. You lose your joy right now. So, <laughs> The one who holds and continues all things by the word of his power. I, I can, now with... with the internet and, you know, all these videos about space and stuff. Any of y'all ever watched that in quantum physics? And you can, just like three or four minutes and you go, oh, what, what? If we move a degree, one degree on an axis. So while you're spinning a thousand miles an hour this way and you're spinning a thousand miles this way, while you're spinning around this way and all these planets aren't hitting each other. And if we moved one degree, the earth would either burn up or freeze. How have we not come off a degree? Because the Bible said, and all things are continued by the word of his power. When he set it into existence, it's in existence. As long as there is time, there's going to be day and night. Because he declared it. David wants you to know when he said this, he's not being cute. He said, the Lord. The Lord. What a condescension. That he would come and shepherd my soul. That he would come and shepherd your soul. The one who with great might delivered the Israelites out of the hand of Pharaoh in Egypt. Bringing lice and flies and murin and bulls and killing the firstborn and opening a Red Sea. Cloud by day, fire by night. Drowning the Egyptians in the water, bringing them into Canaan. He said, that's the one. So it's more than just the Lord is my shepherd. He wants you to know I'm speaking about El Shaddai, the almighty God. The all-powerful God, the omniscient God, the ever-present God. The one who flattened the walls of Jericho at the shout of faith. The one who established David, sent fire from heaven for Elisha, shut the mouths of lions for Daniel, took Ruth from gleaning in the fields of Boaz one day to owning the fields the next day. That God. 
The one who keeps his promises to a thousand generations. Forever married to the backslider. The one who opened blinded eyes, made the lame to walk and raised the dead. Wait a minute. David didn't know all that. And I'm going to just touch on this, let you do some Bible study at home. Take all, look for all the names Jehovah in the Old Testament. And you will see that Jehovah is Jesus. Let me just give you a couple. Jehovah Sidkenu. Now, is that righteousness or peace? No, that's righteousness. The Lord, our righteousness. The Bible said that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord, our peace. And Jesus is our peace, the Bible said. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord shall provide. And my God shall supply all of your needs according to the riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Everywhere you see Jehovah in the Old Testament, Jesus is the fulfillment of it. That's why he said before Abraham was, I am. What? I'm the one. I'm from everlasting to everlasting. I existed before your world was created. The one who opened blind eyes, deaf ears, made the lame to walk, raised the dead, the friend of sinners, the deliverer of the oppressed, the resurrection and the life, the one who was and is and is to come, the first and the last, the one to whom all power has been given in heaven and earth. And I am belaboring the point because I want you to get it. The Lord who changes not, never fails, cannot lie, and will never leave you. That's the one he's talking about. He does not grow old or weary, never sleeps nor slumbers, who knows all things, beholds all things, orchestrates all things, and has the final say in everything. He's the last word. And there's no appellate court. He rules and the world don't like it. Say, Get over it. I'm the Lord. I decree I raise up nations, I set them down. And do you not know when the Lord looks over your life and he said, you're blessed. Every devil in hell can't stop provision and wholeness from coming to your family. When he says, you are made whole. It doesn't matter what's on the MRI. It doesn't matter what's on the doctor's scan. We appreciate their work. He has the final say. Why do you think he wanted us to know about resurrection? There ain't no doctor's report worse than dead. Dead? Sometimes, you know, people say, well, why did he wait three days for Lazarus? Well, because people would have said if he'd done it the first day, well, he wasn't dead, he's just in a coma. But he waits for decomposition, decomposing to happen, speaks over him and he comes to life. So David, who many times prophesied of things he knew not. Ooh, this is so good. I got so much taste, so much taste. Psalms 22. Let me just read this. I don't want to mess it up. Psalm 22, if you want to do your studies, he speaks of the good shepherd. Psalms 22 is a foreshadowing of Jesus dying for our sins. Psalms 23 is the great shepherd that cares for us. Psalm 24 is the chief shepherd that rules and reigns forever. In Psalm 22, you'll see the shepherd's cross. Psalms 23, the shepherd's crook. In Psalms 24, the shepherd's crown. In Psalm 22, the shepherd's grace. In Psalm 23, the shepherd's guidance. Psalms 24, the shepherd's glory. So David was speaking of the Lord, not knowing it was Jesus, but he's all of these things to him. Your Lord that cannot fail, that will not fail, and you are the object of his affections. And I want to stop here just a moment. This is where some of you are hung up. You have received forgiveness for your sins. You believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you have no other claim to righteousness but His. But you will not let Him love you.
and you're an idolater. And I'll tell you why. You tell him to get off the throne so that you can rule over your life that you are not worthy and you will not allow yourself to be loved by God and anything that takes the place of God when he expressly tells you that you're the object of his affections. That's idolatry. It's that the shepherd loves the sheep. And I'm going to get to it later. He calls them by name. There's a double analogy when he said he anointed my head with oil. It's speaking of the shepherd anointing a sheep and God anointing a king. The sheep gets all this infection and bugs and pests in their ears and the shepherd will pull all of them out and rub oil all in their ears. And so they're not shaking their head and they become restful and quiet. See, forgiveness takes away the judgment, but love makes me whole. And when the prodigal came home, his father didn't just tell him he could come live with him. The Bible said the father fell on his neck and kissed him all over, the Greek said. He couldn't even repent for the father kissed. And early on in my ministry, the Lord gave me a message. His kiss changed my life. And I want to declare to you today, unworthily, I, I, I know who I am. He likes me. He enjoys me. He designed me a little off. And he takes great pleasure in my offness. He did. So do you see? Instead of just, I'm free from the punishment of sin. No, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord. The Lord. Nothing has greater impact on the quality, direction, and destination of your life than who your shepherd is. And it's either the Lord, you, or someone else. And we got to address this. What is sadder than a shepherd that gets up before the sheep do, has prepared for months fields that they can graze in when this one begins to get barren to move them, provides water, and have a wayward sheep one field off one field over, has a shepherd that he does not follow. Number two, the Lord is. Underline the word is. This present tense, present tense declaration reveals so much more than a general description. He's declaring the Lord is, not maybe, not might be, not hope so, not was, not is occasionally, and not most of the time. He's not a relic of yesterday, a passive, distant, or retired figure, or a futuristic idea or hope. God is not a belief system. He is my shepherd. Today, Christians love to have God as the God of yesterday or the God of tomorrow. Let me give you a biblical example. When Jesus waited the three days and Lazarus died and decomposed and they said, Lord, if you'd have just been here, our brother wouldn't have died. So we believe him for three days ago. And Jesus said, well, I'm able to raise him again. Do you believe I'm able to do this? Oh, I believe that the resurrection, when Messiah comes, he's going to set all things straight. So their faith went from three days ago to the return of the Lord Jesus. Do you know why we do that? 
You'll believe in Daniel's God and Elisha's God and David's God and the 12 disciples' gods and grandmama's God and you'll believe in the soon and coming king because it doesn't cost you anything to believe on those ends of the paradigm. But to stand out and say, right now, in my lack, in my insufficiency, in my weakness, God is now. He doesn't need my help. He doesn't need momentum. He's not looking for approval. He is. Saw a bumper sticker not too long ago. Tickled me. Said, uh, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Nope. God said it. That settles it. Whether you believe it or not, God, God couldn't find anybody to swear by, so he swore by himself. So David saw his position. He said, that's the Lord that was. That's the Lord that is. And that's the Lord that shall be. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Trust in Daniel's God and trust in the coming king does you no service today if your God is not present. According to scripture, this sanctuary is filled with angels. Filled. Because the angel of the Lord encampeth round about those that fear him to deliver them. The angels have been created and sent forth to be ministers to those that shall be heirs of salvation. That's us. And they're going before us trying to keep us safe. And you're wondering why that relationship fell apart. And this angel's slapping that person upside the head all the time, making them mad. I used to tease when I first got saved. Don't quote me because it's not right. But I said, I know my angels were smoking cigarettes all the time following me around on the motorcycle like, dear Lord, he's going to get us all killed, you know. But they're, they're surrounded. We're filled, giving reports back to the Lord on our weaknesses and our struggles. The Lord does, is current with you. One of the greatest revelations I've ever received, I've preached it so many times to you, is the hairs of your head are numbered. He didn't say, I know how many's on your head. And some of us don't take too long. Others have taken a long time. And just work with we work what we got. But for the Lord to say, John, yesterday you lost number 1,206. They're numbered. Each one has a number. You lost number 4,207. You lost number six. Six hung with you a long time. She's gone. It's gone. Gone. Why? Why would he tell us that our hairs are numbered? So we could quote a verse? No, he said, I'm current with you. And we don't believe it because we spend the first 15 minutes of our prayer updating God on what happened. He is my shepherd. David's faith, confession, and hope is found in the word is. Let me give it to you this way. The Lord is here. One of the saddest things for me in our church and in every other church, people don't believe the Lord's here. They come out of gratitude, but they don't believe the Lord's here. Because if they did, they would be reverent. They would be punctual. They would, oh yeah, you'd be punctual if you thought the Lord was here. They'd be grateful. They'd be expressive. They'd be generous. And our problem is, we're trying to live out of faith without the Lord being right here with us. That's why it's boring or dull. But when the Lord is here, that means that all he has is here too. So if I'm sick, who's here? The Lord, my healer. 
If I'm in need, the Lord my provider. And so David is declaring in this one little sentence, it's not enough to say the Lord is a shepherd. He's got to be your shepherd. And it's not enough to say he can help. He said, he's with you, ever present. The Lord is near. The Lord is faithful. So the word is means present. The Lord is kind. The Lord is in control. The Lord is working. He is attentive. He is answering your petitions. He is your foundation. He is your source, your hope, your help, your rock, refuge, shelter, hedge of thorns about you. He is always watching, always attentive, always caring, always prepared, and always working things according to his will. The Lord is my shepherd. Not maybe, not might. Faith that God is, and God is still, and God is now, and God is shall ever be. Romans 15 in the message says, all these scriptures were written long ago so you could be sure that they were written for you. God wants the combination of his steady, constant calling and warm personal counsel in the scripture to come to characterize you, keeping you alert for whatever he will do next. Think of whatever's the most difficult thing you're going through right now and picture yourself as a sheep and God in front of you. It's the prescription for all that ails you. And finally, number three, the Lord is my shepherd. Underline my shepherd. This is not so much about who the Lord is to others, but who he is to David. David, David had, whether he was aware of it or not, you know, he saw into the future. He prophesied many of the messianic psalms were about Jesus' death. And he saw them, the bulls of Bashan coming around to kill him and his parched lips. And he saw all of this. But David also grasped an eternal, a New Testament reality long before it was time. He called himself God's beloved. He said, so picture this. Here's this old leathery tent with the presence of God in the tent. Between the cherubim. The presence of God. And David would pull out a little, like a flat director's chair stool with parchment set across it and he said I just want to look upon your glory and with the tent shut I just want to sit near you and he'd say God your beloved is here which means your favorite isn't that arrogant no it's revelational it's my God not just my savior my Lord my king and I am beloved by him he was saying that God is exclusive to him now before you think I'm saying something incorrect listen to me not that no one else could have God but that there was no one else for David but God he said I look to God exclusively I lean upon God exclusively I follow God exclusively I live and find my life in his care my contentment and my peace comes from our relationship. I live at peace with God and in the peace of God. Not the Lord and someone else. Not the Lord a majority of the time, but the Lord and the Lord alone. And so I'm asking you on this first day, and I'm inviting you, take this whole journey with me. Don't miss a Sunday. And you have to be honest. Do you know anybody? Maybe you're sitting with them. Maybe you're married to them. 
that lies to the doctor. So, you know, the man's cut his arm off, his arm's in his pocket, and he's, how you doing? I'm good. And the wife goes, you ain't good. You cut your arm off yesterday. Tell the man. You ain't slept in six weeks. He goes, I'm having a lot of trouble sleeping. And the wife says, you lie. You ain't been to bed in six weeks. If you're honest with the physician, he can help. Now, for nobody else's eyes or ears, who is your shepherd? And we'll get to some descriptives in a minute, and some of us may write down somebody and then change it before we get home or change it later. That determines everything. You cannot enjoy Psalm 23 thinking of God apart from being your shepherd. Who is the shepherd? It's the one who goes before you, the one that guides you, and the one that makes decisions for your life. Do you guide yourself? Do you pick your neighborhood based on what you like and the style house you like? Do you pick your work based upon what has the highest pay, the best vacation package? Well, should we not consider those things? Of course. You make a prayerful, educated decision. But you leave the decision to the Lord and you wait for the witness of His Spirit, whether it go left or go right. Well, I don't believe in all that. Then you're your shepherd. You mean God can't impress upon my heart an uneasiness about going somewhere and a peace about something else? Your shepherd is the one you look to first. I'll hear people say, and I know what they're saying, complimentary, but it's wrong. My grandmother's my rock. I call her first. Then she's your shepherd. I call the church. No, no, no. The Lord. Now, you can be complimented and completed and gain wisdom through a multitude of counselors. But who do you go to first? Who first? That's your shepherd. And the one that has the final say in your life. This is where many people who would say, the Lord is my shepherd, have to change and say, I am my own shepherd. Because if I believe God telling me something in my spirit or I see something in his word, I reserve the right to say no. Then you have no shepherd. And you're scattered. And you're lost. And you're an easy prey to the enemy. Safety wholeness, healing, health, and a life of few regrets is found in the statement, the Lord is my shepherd. What does it mean for God to be your shepherd? It means that you belong to Him. Christians don't like hearing preaching about what I'm about to tell you. They don't. They like to hear that they're saved but not purchased. If I purchase a car, that means I take the car where I want it to go. If I purchase a dog, he's going to come to me. He don't come to me, I get another dog. It's easy. Life's easy. If you purchase something, if I went up to Officer Jaffe here and took his car, and he said, what are you doing? I said, I just feel like I should have it. Well, I could swear I made the payments on it. Purchasing something, raising your children quarter million dollars you invested in their first 11 years proves relationship like I own you I brought you in this world I can take you out of this world no problem purchasing is a possession and you're God's possession and we don't like that because that leaves us feeling inanimate 
that we don't have a will. And here's what we tell our children. As long as you live in my house and your feet sit under my table, you're going to do what I say. And you know what we do? We walk out of God's house, out of his table, claim him to be our father, and don't live in the father's house. He is, but he's not. And if God is something and you're not appropriating it, to you, it's as if he never was. And the Lord, that scripture is hovering over us this morning. How often I would have gathered you together, but you wouldn't let me. You were purchased. You are God's purchase. Not only a child, but a purchased possession. For God to be your shepherd means that God knows you. He knows your weaknesses, your failures, failures, your frailties, your insecurities, your idiosyncrasies. He knows you. If God is my shepherd, it means I'm his responsibility. This is where peace floods the life of the believer. And I can tell, I can, I can, I can see your countenance. I can watch it. There are people that love with emotions the Lord and he's not their shepherd. Because you feel like you are your responsibility. Now, we are to work hard. We're to do our best in everything from school and at work. But I'm not responsible for my outcomes. I'm responsible for giving my best. The Lord is responsible for sustaining me, my wife, and my babies. And that way, if that is true, then I am at peace. And I can tell you when you're shepherdless because you feel like you got to keep yourself safe from the wolves and provide and find green grass and find still waters and you got to restore what died and you're always like this and that Christian that's like this over all things. Worry-free is the perfect description of the one who has a shepherd. It means I'm his responsibility to protect me and preserve me. It means that I'm perpetually under his care. It means that he will speak to me Oh, I still got time to fit. My sheep, what? Hear my voice. They know it. And another one's voice, they will not follow. Well, John, I don't feel like the Lord talks to me. Then you're not close enough to him to hear it. Because the sheep, he said, my sheep will hear my voice. He'll talk to you. Well, what's it sound like? I can't tell you that. But the longer you are with him, it becomes familiar. Do you remember that verse where Saul was persecuting the church and he's on his way to Damascus and a light shined from heaven and knocked him off the donkey and a voice cried from heaven, Saul! It said, and the voice cried from heaven. And in the Hebrew tongue, I heard him say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? You remember that? Why does it say, and I heard a voice to me speaking in the Hebrew tongue? Because Saul was a Hebrew. Okay. So what does that mean? It means God will speak to you in ways that you will understand it. Let me tell you one of the general ways he speaks to me. Guidance and an answer to prayer. It just feels so, well, if, I use the word all the time with Kelly. We do, of course. All of a sudden, some door opens or some provision happens. Well, of course. I just, that's who he is. That's how he guides me. And if I feel any uneasiness, I don't care what you're promising me. And John, you have to act now in the next 24 hours to get this deal. Mm-mm. It has to feel right. It has to feel like it come from him with no man, no manipulation, manipulation, no maneuvering. If my shepherd didn't orchestrate it, you can keep it. Well, what if you miss out? We may miss the house. He owns all the houses. 
this job. This is what we've been praying for. And you move away at twice the salary. It answers your financial problems and lose both of your babies to the world in that city. And God knows what's in that city. And he closes that door. And you don't understand why. But the shepherd does. I am a... Well, I'm going to get ahead of myself. It's, it's here. I don't want to trump my, my little last couple lines here. If he's your shepherd, he'll speak to you. If he's your shepherd, you'll hear him. If he's your shepherd, you'll know his voice. If he's your shepherd, he'll lead you. If he's your shepherd, he'll satisfy you. That's how you know if you're walking with him. Because you ain't looking nowhere else. I'm not looking for any other religion. I'm not adding. I'm not, I don't have special ministers or special authors. I mean, we glean from certain people. But listen, in the light of him, they're just, you know, he's it. He's the one. And finally, this is beautiful. Not only does he satisfy me, if he's my shepherd, it means I get to live with him. Every morning, every afternoon, every evening, and when I wake up, I look for one person, the shepherd. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. While I slept, you, you sat on that rock with the, the crook, the crooked staff. One end is the hook to bring the sheep back, and the other end is to hit wolves right across the mouth to save the sheep. Ben, if you'd come, please. What does it mean for you to say, the Lord is my shepherd? Shepherd. It means that you know him. Not about him. Know him. See, some of you, because you see Kelly on Sunday mornings and Kelly will give the announcements and you see Kelly with the girls and you'll say, I know Kelly. No, not really. You know about her, but you don't know her. Do you know most people can talk an hour and a half about the television shows they follow and you start a conversation with God about them, they can't talk three minutes. I'm not being hard, I'm trying to show you. They know about God but they don't know them. See, you see pictures of my little girls on Facebook. Oh, they're cute. Yeah, they're still children. I got on to Livy the other day. She said, I don't appreciate the way you just spoke to me. I told her no, she couldn't have something, like ice cream for breakfast or something, or something like that. And I said, what'd you just say? She goes, the way you spoke to me made me sad, and I do not appreciate it. So what I'm trying to tell you is, you don't know them. And is there anything sadder than hearing someone talk about a Lord they do not know? I want to know you. I want to I lean upon your breast. I want to weep before you. I want to dance before you. I want to celebrate before you. I want to fail in front of you. When I fail, it'll be before you. I want to live my life with you. David didn't talk about his kingdom or his palace. Here's a man that is the greatest figurehead, not only in that day, in the history of Israel, backward and forward. And he's looking over his shoulder. He goes, I'm just a little bitty sheep that lives with God. And that prescription for life will carry you through anything. People look at you and go, how? How are you making it? 
the Lord is my shepherd. I trust him. It means I, I know what he does and it means I trust him. And finally, what does it mean for you to be God's sheep? It means that you know your true condition. Sheep are the most helpless, defenseless, ignorant animals. That's called humility. I know that if I'm left to my vices and my wisdom, I will mess this up and I choose to lay down my free will, my independence, my carnal reasoning, and God, I see myself correctly and I have made enough mistake. I'm going to follow you. I have Christians over the history of my life tell me, oh, that's not necessary. God gave you common sense. I said, well, you don't have to pray about it. God gave you common sense. I am dumb. Do you hear me? Dumb. Oh, that's self-deprecating. No, it's not. Compared to the shepherd, I know nothing. So I want to be led and guided by him. It means that we should not be confused, but settled as to who our shepherd is. If we're God's sheep, I shouldn't be confused who my shepherd is. It means I should never struggle with his authority. If I'm a sheep and he's my shepherd, I should not struggle with his leadership or his decisions. Don't be like Olivia. I don't like that decision. Well, sorry. The Lord will lead us. My wife taught a powerful sermon a couple of years ago. The Lord will lead you along the best pathway for your life. And it's not the paths you would have taken. Because you'll take the ones that appeal to your physical self, carnal reasoning, pleasure, and ease. And he's taken some of y'all through some twisted, dark valleys. And you can't see what's going on. But he said, I swear to you, I will lead you along the best pathway of your life. And if you're God's sheep, you let him pick. It means that if you're his sheep, you should be free from anxiety, fear, or worry. Always. Oh, that's impossible. Be anxious for nothing. How can you be anxious? Okay, brass tacks. Come on, preacher. How can I be anxious for nothing? Look up and see your shepherd in the knowledge of who he is. How can you be afraid? If you die, he can resurrect you. That's your shepherd. And finally, it means two things. That we do not imitate, associate, or follow wayward sheep. If you're running away from God and jumping over fences and coming back, you're not my friend. Sorry. Don't mean I hate you. I'm just not hanging out with you because I'm living with the shepherd. And finally, if you are God's sheep... That means if you go astray, God will leave, leave the 90 and 9 and come find you. I have been told through studies with several books, and I haven't read this one again yet, but I'm going to use it for this series, on Psalm, uh, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, Keller. There's a shepherd writing about it. And there's some wayward sheep that no matter what the shepherd does, he brings them back they jump the fence. He brings them back. They jump the fence. He brings them back. And they fall. They cast themselves. They're upside down. They get caught between ridges. And they could die because the gas builds up in their stomach. And they get slain. And he finds pieces of these sheep. And he said, one, one of them said, 
And there was one that was one of my favorite sheep. He said, the character. And he knows the differences and the nuances. And her eyes were just brilliant. She would look at me with such awareness that she knew who I was. But she would be wayward and she would leave. And he said, uh, one time, I knew it was time because I was going to lose her. When I went and got her, I took her little legs. And I broke her legs at the joint. Now, hear your pastor. It is common in Pentecostal theology that God would, ne- God would never use sickness or God would... God, that sounds like the devil. No. No. That sounds like someone that knew that temporary discomfort could pre- provide eternal longevity. And he put that sheep on his shoulders. Why? Because she could not walk back home herself. And so for the next couple months, guess she couldn't walk. How close was he to her? Loving, touching, recognizing the voice. And a lot of times when the legs would mend, he said then because of that intimate contact, they stopped being wayward. With every eye open, and if you're a guest here, I give you my word, no one will ever embarrass you. But if you walked away from the Lord, if you're not, you're his sheep, but you're not, you're his sheep, but he's not your shepherd. And you say, Lord, I'm going to take this summer journey. And I I know this in my heart. There will be people in this room that say, summer 2016 changed my life. I mean, changed it drastically, dramatically. And you want to make that, I'm not close to the shepherd. That's just it. You can think about what you want, but I, God, this is my reaction. My first step, bring me back to you, I pray. And if that's you, I want you to just come find a place to kneel. It's more just humbling, assaulting your pride than anything else. If that's you, I want you to come to the front this morning. It doesn't mean we're in open sin. It means I'm just not where I'm supposed to be. I'm not as close as I'm supposed to be. I'm not, I'm not as I should be. I want to declare with my life, the Lord is my shepherd. Those in the room here that have been wayward sheep in your history, some multiple times, but you are walking with God. I want you to come stand behind him and say, I've been right where you've been. Girl with a girl, guy with a guy. Come on, come on. And just put your hand on him. God is married to you. He's faithful, married to the backslider. God hasn't left you. He's still your shepherd because you're his sheep. He's still your shepherd. He's still your shepherd. Saints praying all over the building, would you? Now with no one looking around, is there anyone in this room that you're good with God? 
but you just want to stand where you are and lift your hands and tell him, I declare it that you're mine. I just want you to know, I declare it from my soul. Just stand all over this room. Lord, I declare it. You're my shepherd. You're it for me. No other God. No other God. No other Lord. You're it for me, God. And I will trust you. I will live with you. I will depend upon you. You're it for me, Lord. Open my eyes to see wondrous things out of your law. Open my eyes to see, oh God. Open my eyes to see, Lord. If you're at a place where you can, I want you just to stand with me. And I know you'll be talking to the Lord all afternoon about this. Church family, if you'll give me three or four minutes, this is very, very important. This, what, what we need to happen is for us to go from information to revelation. Okay. Where's Lauren? When little Abby led her song up here. I looked over at Jake's boy up here. Just a boy. Hands are lifted. And in the spirit, I saw this little lamb. And Abby's, God's little lamb. We don't want to teach our girls just and our boys what to do and what not to do. We want to let, teach them how to recognize the shepherd. And he leads them. Like a child, he leads us. He, he pulls us out of things. And that knowledge will alter everything. You say, well, what are you going to do? I don't know, but the Lord is my shepherd. Do you see? When that comes from you, that's the prescription. I'll tell you this and I'll let you go home. In the early 1900s, long, long time ago, this story was printed where a pastor went to the bed of a little boy who was a Christian 
but he was dying, he was 11, 12 years old. And mom called the pastor and they said, he doesn't have long. And he came and sat at his bedside. And I'm just giving you the cliff notes. He said, are you scared, buddy? He said, yes, sir. I believe in Jesus, but I'm, I'm scared. He said, I want to teach you something. Give me your hand. And so I want to give this to you. He took his hand and he started with the first finger. And he said, the, the Lord, the Lord is my, and he grabbed his thumb and said, shepherd. He said, okay. Within a few days, well, there was people all in the room. There was relatives and one of the relatives was an uncle or something, very wealthy, prominent businessman, you know. But So when the boy died in his sleep, mama found him the next morning. He was in his bed like this. <laughs> and he was holding his thumb. But that's not, the, that's not the moving part, you know, the hallmark tearjerker part. That's not it. So this uncle who had never really, you know, he went to church, but he had never really uh, lived out his faith. The next year got sick, and his wife found him in the morning, and he was laying in his bed like this. And the Lord is near you. He, he's with you. His rod and his staff will comfort you. He'll restore your soul. But you got to know him, and you got to follow him. So, Lord, we stand before you today. Admitting our ignorance, our, our defense, we're defenseless and we're helpless. But you, oh Lord, are the good shepherd. You're the great shepherd. You're the chief shepherd. Restore, align us, oh Lord, align us. We know we're your children, but align us to be the sheep of your pasture. And may the peace that King David had be ours. Before you go home, last words. Most theologians believe that David wrote this when his son Absalom was coming up to kill him. And he was on his way walking out of Jerusalem. They said, he's going to take the kingdom. He said, let him have it. If God wants him to have it, he can have it. The Lord's my shepherd. In the worst of times, it'll carry you. Have a wonderful Lord's Day. God bless you.